We intend vigorously to uh, pursue an appeal and uh, any other legal remedy that we're able to and are entitled to, we will pursue because we do believe that this was not the right result. We do tell you that Mr. Spector did not kill Anna Clarkson, and we hope that somehow, by the time we are done, we will have been able to prove that. With this verdict and this sentence, a message has been sent. I think a very clear message has been sent. If you commit crimes in our communities, if you commit violence against our citizens, we, under the watchful eye of the district attorney's office, we will find you. We will prosecute you. And no matter your fame or your wealth or your supposed celebrity, you will stand trial. You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. On February 3rd, 2003, a hysterical 911 call was made from the mansion of famous record producer Phil Spector. Spector's personal chauffeur made that very call and he would become a star witness in a case and trial that captivated people all over the world. Born in 1939 in New York, Harvey Phillips Spector showed creative talent and a passion for music from a very young age. He quickly began forming bands and learning instruments. While he achieved success with his band The Teddy Bears, his look drastically changed when he decided to move into producing records. He became a millionaire before the age of 21, and by the 1960s, he had 23 records in the top 50. It was also in the 1960s that he signed the band The Renettes to his record label. One third of the talented trio Ronnie fell in love with Spectre and they later married. However, the honeymoon phase soon faded. Spectre quickly became controlling and abusive towards her. Metal bars were placed over the windows, barbed wire put around the mansion, and he would take her shoes in a bid to prevent her from running away. Ronnie claimed he frequently threatened her life and often pulled guns on her. In her 1990 memoir, she spoke about the years of torment which culminated in her escaping from the house, barefoot, with the help of her mother. She said, I knew that if I didn't leave, I was going to die. Multiple witnesses would say, although he was a musical genius, he could also become erratic and volatile and frequently drank heavily during recording sessions. The more he drank, the darker things became, and he would often pull guns out and fire them at walls and ceilings. Despite the personal turmoil, professionally, Spectre's career was still on the up. He was collaborating and working with the likes of the Beatles, the Ramones, the Supremes and the Rolling Stones. He contributed to and produced a vast amount of hit songs, including Rock and Roll High School, Imagine, and You've Lost That Loving Feeling. He also created and coined a new music production technique that people would use for years to come, known as the Wall of Sound. He had well and truly reached the top of his profession, and was highly sought after by various A-list artists. However, during the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, Spectre took more of a backseat, remaining virtually inactive. Rumours about his wild, bizarre and troubling personal life began hitting the headlines once more. He was, however, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 
and the Songwriters Hall of Fame during these decades. 3rd of February 2003 Phil Spector had been driving around LA going on several dates with different women visiting his favourite spots. Over several hours he spent time at The Grill, Trader Vic's and Dantana's. He had already taken a concoction of pills with a mixture of alcohol including liquor that was 75% proof. But Spectre's night wasn't over, and sometime after midnight, he and one of his dates entered the VIP area of the famous House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles. Lana Clarkson was an American actress and model. Born in California in 1962, she quickly showed a spark for the entertainment industry. She was talented, beautiful, and had a lot of passion for performing. People that knew her said she also had great comedic timing, regularly working on her own sketches and stand-up ideas. Lana hoped to be cast in different roles that showed her many talents and versatilities as an actress. By the 80s, she was achieving success within the industry. Although playing bit parts, these parts were in big movies and TV shows. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Scarface, Three's Company and The Jeffersons, to name a few. She was also passionate when it came to helping others. She did a lot of charity work and volunteered weekly for Project Angel Food, which delivered food for those in Los Angeles affected by HIV or AIDS. As she approached her 30s, however, her career started to slow down, and she wasn't acting as frequently. She decided to start a website as a way of interacting with her fans. On this site, she sold signed copies of her films as a way of making some extra money and giving her fans something more personal. In 2001, she had a serious accident, breaking both her wrists in 26 places, requiring multiple surgeries. This left her physically unable to carry on any film or commercial work for a long time. After this long break, she struggled even more to get the roles she used to, and she began taking part-time jobs to support herself. In early 2003, she took on a new job as a hostess at the House of Blues in West Hollywood, Los Angeles. Many that knew her said this was a clever and strategic decision, as the House of Blues was a popular celebrity hangout. Anybody who was anybody would spend time there, and being a hostess, Lana would regularly be making connections with all manner of powerful people within the industry. On February 3rd, while working in the VIP area, she walked right into one of those powerful people. Phil Spector Witnesses said that Spectre was wearing one of his notorious wigs, and Lana momentarily thought that he was an unknown female trying to get into the exclusive area. At first, she refused him entry, but upon being told he was a famous record producer, she immediately apologised and began showering him with attention and drinks. When Spectre's date no longer wanted to participate in the drinking, Spectre sent her home. His attention was now firmly on Lana Clarkson. It was very clear to onlookers that Spectre was heavily intoxicated by this point and was continuing to drink heavily and spiral further out of control. A few hours later at around 2.30am, Lana finished her shift and went to go and find her car. She clearly made a good impression on Spectre, as after he spotted her in the street he begged her to come back to his mansion for a drink. The CCTV footage from outside the venue shows Lana getting into Spectre's car. Sometime after 3am, Spectre's personal driver dropped both Phil and Lana at the back door of the producer's mansion in Alhambra. It was about 40 miles away from the House of Blues. Known as The Castle, this secluded three-acre house boasted 33 rooms and was Spectre's pride and joy. The details surrounding how the next series of events came to be will never be fully known. Just before 5am, Spectre's driver Adriano D'Souza heard a loud popping sound. 
He got out of the car to check it was nothing to do with the vehicle and was getting back into it when he saw the back door slowly open. Phil Spector emerged holding a gun and said, I think I've killed someone. Upon looking past Spectre into the foyer, Adriano saw the legs of Lana Clarkson and she was slumped in a chair with blood coming from her mouth. Adriano ran down the driveway. He was fearing for his life and knew he needed to call the police. Before he made the call to 911, he left a voicemail on Michelle Blaine's answer phone. Michelle was Spectre's longtime personal assistant. Adriano briefly told her what had happened and he would later say that he didn't know the exact address and he initially phoned her to ask her for it. After backing out onto the street and confirming the road name, he phoned 911. 911, what are you reporting? Hi, it's, uh, my name is Adriano. I, I think my boss killed somebody. Please, can, can you send me a... Uh, a Did you think a your boss killed somebody? Yes, sir. Okay, and your boss's name? It's uh, Phil Spector. I'm sorry? Phil Spector. At around ten past five, police descended on Spectre's sprawling property. When the police spotted him, Spectre began to retreat and seemingly started to reach for something in his shirt. Worried he might be attempting to arm himself, they tried to use a taser on Spectre, but it got tangled in his clothing and didn't work. They then rushed him with a ballistic shield and knocked him to the floor. Other officers ran past to find Lana. It was evident that nothing could be done to save her, and she was already deceased. Near Lana's body was an open drawer containing an empty gun holster. The holster seemed to match the gun lying next to Lana's legs. Although no fingerprints were found on the gun when it was examined, Lana's blood was discovered around various parts of the mansion. In one of the bathrooms, police found a cloth covered in blood. As well as blood on one of Spectre's jackets hanging in a closet, and more blood was on the stairs. In the main living room, police found an empty bottle of tequila and a cocktail glass with some lit candles. Just after 6am, Spectre was brought in for questioning on suspicion of murder, and the arresting officers noted that he reeked of alcohol and was clearly inebriated. Shouting and slurring at the officers, he denied any wrongdoing and claimed that Lana had taken her own life. He said she even kissed the gun before she pulled the trigger. While in jail, he made a phone call to Robert Shapiro, a defence attorney to the stars. Most notably, Robert Shapiro had been part of O.J. Simpson's defence team in the high-profile 1995 trial. Thanks to Shapiro, Spectre's bail was set at $1 million, which he quickly made and swiftly headed back to his multi-million dollar mansion. Following a similar approach he had taken in the Simpson trial, Shapiro began regularly conversing with the media in a bid to control the situation and present Spectre's narrative. In the following months, Spectre's PR team also appeared to go into overdrive and multiple unfavourable stories were coming out about Lana Clarkson. It was alleged that she was depressed at her fledgling career and had just wanted to end it all. A portrait was painted of her as a washed-up B-list movie actress who was struggling to make ends meet. And shockingly, despite no confirmation of this, it was reported by the Los Angeles radio station that Lana had accidentally shot herself. During these months, Spectre also made many various bizarre televised interviews, telling anyone that would listen that Lana had taken her own life on that fateful night. The autopsy results finally came back. They determined that Lana had died when a single bullet severed her spine. On the 22nd of September 2003, despite Spectre's claims of suicide, Lana's death was officially ruled as a homicide. 
and just a few months later Phil Spector was formally charged with the death of Lana Clarkson. He pled not guilty and maintained that she had taken her own life. It would be five years before the case would enter a courtroom. In March 2007, Spectre went on trial for the murder of Lana Clarkson. He was charged with second-degree murder and it was a media frenzy. Judge Larry Paul Fiddler was presiding and allowed the proceedings to be televised. Robert Shapiro was no longer working with Spectre and Leslie Abramson was now in charge. At this point, she was most famous for representing Eric Menendez in the infamous Menendez Brothers trial. Leslie and Phil clashed and they parted ways. While looking for another lawyer, Spectre decided to take matters into his own hands and created a website with the intent of putting his version of events to the public. His personal assistant Michelle helped him film these strange and erratic videos. She recalled feeling at the time that something was deeply disturbed about the way he was approaching the situation. There was a dying woman there which needed medical attention and there were still no paramedics there, yet we called for the paramedics. Did you take Mr. Spector? No. Why? Duh. You know, I mean, those are the answers you get. Was capped off because she pulled the trigger with it and it was a false fingernail and it came off. So half of it fell off on the floor and the other, both halves split and fell on the floor. Apparently, Robert Shapiro said that he had half and the police said they had the other half. Now, Robert Shapiro now says, I don't have the other half because that's obstruction of justice and he can go to jail for that. So he's denied, denied, denied and then I fired him. I had been out to dinner and... um, uh, at the grill, I'd been to another restaurant, Dantana's, and then I stopped by the House of Blues close to closing time, and all of a Bill Spector could never have done this. He could never stand up and shoot a girl in the mouth with a gun. Where's my history of this? After a while of searching for a new attorney, Bruce Cutler took over. However, he too withdrew due to differences of opinions with Spectre. This was just days before the closing arguments. Linda Kenny Baden then stepped in and took over for the final part of the trial. This constant hiring and firing of his legal teams also kept setting the trial back a huge amount. During the trial, Spectre's love of guns and his history of abusive and manipulative relationships with people fueled the prosecution's case significantly. There's a pattern that emerges in Philip Spector's history, and it's a, it's a pattern that's indelibly etched into his history. When there's a woman, alcohol, a loss of control, Philip Spector pulls a gun. By this time, multiple women had spoken out against Spector, and many artists and assistants could attest to his erratic and volatile behaviour. One of Spectre's sons, Gary, said that at no point did he disbelieve anyone's account of how Spectre had behaved in the past. He said it even gave him flashbacks as to what it was like to live with him. The star witness in the trial, Adriano D'Souza, testified on the stand and had a lot more to say about the limo ride over to the castle. 
He claimed that Lana was less keen on going back to Spectre's mansion and that Spectre kept putting pressure on her to get into the limo. She eventually said she would go back for one drink and then she wanted to leave. This reluctance to go with him in the first place did little to help the defence's case. Spectre's defence team painted Lana in a very unflattering light. She was spoken of as someone who seemed desperate to revive an already unsuccessful career and in failing to do so had slumped into depression, culminating in her taking her own life in Spectre's home. On September 10th, 2007, the jury began their deliberations. After a week, they came back in a deadlock, 7-5. to five. They deliberated further, trying to come to a unanimous decision, but on the 26th of September, the judge declared a mistrial as the jurors were still in a deadlock, this time of 10 to 2. This was, however, in favour of the prosecution. This ultimately meant that as they hadn't reached a majority, the whole process would have to start all over again with a new trial. It was a devastating blow for Lana's loved ones and the prosecution. Prosecutor Alan Jackson said he wanted a retrial as quickly as possible. He said he owed it to Lana and her family to see that justice was done. After the trial was over, in a shocking twist, Spectre asked his assistant Michelle if she would marry him. He worried that she knew too much and said he would feel safer if they were married as spouses don't have to testify against each other in court. Michelle refused. Thirteen months later, on October 29, 2008, the retrial began. Judge Larry Fiddler was presiding again, however this time the trial was not televised. Doran Weinberg was now Spectre's attorney, and going up against Weinberg for the prosecution was still Alan Jackson. Weinberg argued that the only witness who had been in the vicinity at the time, Adriano D'Souza, was continuously giving slightly different versions of the event and how it had played out. Weinberg said that this alone should be enough to acquit Spectre. Prosecutor Alan Jackson fired back, arguing that Lana had shown absolutely no signs of suicidal behaviour, and it just didn't add up, no matter which way one looked at it. The judge, again, allowed Spectre's past history of guns and relationships to be used as evidence during the trial, and witness after witness came forward to attest to these harrowing accounts. The prosecution focused and honed in more on the analysis of the blood, and it was clear that the forensic evidence was overwhelming. The blood splatter analysis shows that there was blood on the back of Lana's hands and wrists. An expert testified that if she was holding the gun herself, this particular position of the blood didn't add up. They said that this indicated that her hands would have been up and near her mouth, with her palms facing outwards, not inwards, as if she was holding a gun. They argued that the placement of her hands appeared to be in a more defensive position. Put simply, the blood was on the wrong side of her hands and wrists. The prosecution also said that the blood on Spectre's jacket definitively put him within arm's reach of Lana, with his arms pointed at her face. Alan Jackson reminded the courtroom of Lana's terrible accident in which she broke both her wrists. Following the path that the bullet entered her mouth, they knew that the gun would have to have been held in a very specific way. Because of the spiral fracture she had from her accident, she couldn't have physically held the gun in the position it would have had to have been in. They also said that in a 10,000 square foot house, the chances of Lana, who had never been there before, finding a gun from within a drawer, seemed totally far-fetched and ridiculous. This same gun, allegedly used to shoot herself, had no fingerprints on it at all. If Lana had been holding it, her should have been there. The prosecution speculated that the way in which Lana's body was found indicated something very significant. Her jacket and shoes were on and her handbag was across her shoulder. It appeared that she was attempting to leave the property. 
It was in that moment that Spectre felt like he was losing control, and just the same as the other ex-partners described, he reached for the gun in a bid to control the situation. This, along with all of the witness testimonies and the other evidence collected from the scene, showed that the prosecution appeared to have a firmly watertight case. Title of court and cause. We, the jury in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Philip Spector, guilty of the crime of second-degree murder of Lana Clarkson in violation of Penal Code Section 187A, a felony, as charged, as charged in Count 1 of the indictment. We further find the allegation that in the commission of the above offense, said defendant, Philip Spector, personally used a firearm, two-wit handgun, within the meaning of Penal Code Section 12022.5A1 to be true. Sentenced to uh, the term uh, required by law, 15 years to life, on his conviction for uh, second-degree murder for the enhancement uh, pursuant to uh, 12022.5A, uh, the personal use of the firearm, the court selects the presumptive midterm of four years for a total of 19 years uh, to life. On April 13th, 2009, the jury found Phil Spector guilty of second-degree murder. And on May 29, 2009, he was sentenced to 19 years to life in prison. We intend vigorously to uh, pursue an appeal and uh, any other legal remedy that we're able to and are entitled to, we will pursue because we do believe that this was not the right result. We do tell you that Mr. Spector did not kill Anna Clarkson. And we hope that somehow, by the time we are done, we will have been able to prove that. With this verdict and this sentence, a message has been sent. I think a very clear message has been sent. If you commit crimes in our communities, if you commit violence against our citizens, we, under the watchful eye of the district attorney's office, we will find you. We will prosecute you. And no matter your fame or your wealth or your supposed celebrity, you will stand trial, and you will be accountable for your action. In January 2021, Phil Spector died in a prison hospital from complications relating to COVID-19. He was 81 years old and would have been eligible for parole in 2024. Lana Clarkson's passionate, warm and loving personality lives on through her friends and family. She was a funny and talented woman who had so much more to give and achieve. Her life was cut tragically short but the memories people have of her continue to keep her vibrant spirit alive.